This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I googled everything. Like, when I got a request for a full, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> like, what does this mean? Does this mean that they want my book? Am I being signed? I googled everything. And that is honestly how I learned. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to date of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Shakira Bourne is a Bayesian author and filmmaker born and based in Barbados. She once shot a movie scene in a cave with bats during an earthquake, but is too scared to watch horror movies. Her middle grade fantasy, Josephine Against the Sea, was published by Scholastic in 2021, received star reviews in Kirkus and Booklist, and was a school library journal best book of 2021. So please welcome Shakira to the show. Hello. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Hi, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. So we're going to talk about your publication journey today, and we're going to start by going back all the way to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I always had a love for reading, and that really gave birth to my love for writing. So I remember wanting to borrow the Sweet Valley High books from the library and them not having any. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to write my story, a story <laughs> myself. So I essentially started with Sweet Valley High fan fiction. That's amazing. <laughs> so, at, and I was nine. Um, mm. So I was an avid reader. I really was. And, but in Barbados, there's no thriving publishing um, industry. Like we have a long tradition of literary writers, um, especially those published um, in the UK. But here, there's no trading publishing business. So to say that I wanted to be a writer for a living just it didn't make sense. It was not mm. part of my reality. So I always used to write stories, but then I did most of my degrees in management because I literally <laughs> had nothing else that interested me. <laughs> you know, I had nothing else that interested me. So I mean, I was writing short fiction, adult literary short fiction. That's where I started. Um, mainly because that is what um, the published writers out here, that's what they did. Mm, So, mm -hmm. you know, writing genre fiction and thrillers and fantasy, that was just not part of my reality, even though I read it and loved it so much. It never occurred to me that I could write it myself. So um, when I was uh, 21, (laughs) I got my first job and it was at an event planning company and I had no time to write. And that is when I realized how important writing was to me because I was absolutely miserable for, I, I, I think I lasted about 13 months and I was absolutely miserable. And I decided that I was going to quit my job. <laughs> I was going to quit my job and become a writer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's what I decided <laughs> to do. No plan. Like, no idea how to do it, how I was going to make money. I was just like, I'm going to be a writer. So um, what happened was a series of unfortunate events. And 
But, you know, I don't regret it because being that desperate led me to say yes to all opportunities. And it really helped me to push the boundaries of my writing. So, for example, I would say yes to writing for magazines, yes to writing um, for websites. Um, I eventually got into writing for films. And that's when I started to write um, screenplays that ballooned into actually producing films and then musicals, radio dramas, short scripts. I basically said yes to everything. Mm. And I didn't think about writing um, in terms of publishing a book. I I just never thought I had a book in me. To me, my short stories were about 2,500 words and that was long to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't think about writing a book until I performed one of my short stories and someone came to me and they asked me where they could buy my work. And I didn't know what to tell them because at that point I had been writing, I had been published in, in like short, short journals and anthologies, but I didn't have a body of work together. So I decided that I was going to self-publish because I wanted to be able to have like a portfolio of printed work for people. The next time someone asked me, where can I find your work? And um, it didn't occur to me to send it to a publisher because again, that was not my reality. You know, I just decided I was going to self-publish. At first, I wasn't even going to charge for the book. (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) I'm just going to put my stories together. And uh, oh, and when I did do research, I realized I would have to write more stories, unpublished stories. I couldn't just put all the published stories together. So I was like, no, this is too much stress. Let me just publish a book. I still cannot believe the reception that collection got. Mm. Honestly, it, it, <laughs> it was really it was um, successful to me because I had no expectations for it. And up to 2019. I was still being invited to different literary festivals around the world because of that collection. Mm. That led me, I think I, I, I got invited to a festival in Trinidad. And there is when I was introduced to these magical people, literary agents. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was a workshop about, from a literary agent. I was like, a literary agent? Who is that? What, what does that mean? <laughs> and that's when I found out, oh, there are people whose job is to sell books, you know. And this agent, she was based in the UK. Um, remember I told you that we don't have a thriving industry. And to me, I always thought that non-Caribbean people would not understand my stories. You know, I used, I would write in Beijing Creole. You know, I would use references that people may not be familiar with. So I just never thought that my audience would have been anyone outside of the Caribbean and the Caribbean diaspora. So um, there was this one, one Caribbean small press that that published Caribbean books. So it was like, either you publish there or you self-publish. And I sent her a query and I was so naive. I had no idea how things worked. I sat in front of my um, laptop for about 15 minutes waiting for her to reply. Oh no. It's like, yeah, I sent you, I asked you, hey, do you like my book? So I'm expecting a reply right now. <laughs> I I, ha- I did not, I have not gotten a reply to this day. Oh, right? no. <laughs> I just got distracted doing movies and, and doing other things. And before I knew it, years had gone past. Let me see. I think um, years, like maybe seven years had gone past with me just experimenting in different genres before I even thought about 
um, publishing a book again. And the reason I started thinking about publishing another book is because there was this competition that was introduced in the Caribbean. It was called the Burt Award for Caribbean Young Adult Literature. Now, I had no idea how to write for kids. <laughs> I um, <laughs> was not interested up to that point. I just, it just never occurred to me to write for kids. Um, but this competition was different. This came with money, a cash award, a publishing deal with a publishing house, and then distribution throughout the Caribbean. So the organization actually bought about 2,000 copies of your book to distribute to libraries and schools throughout the region. So, you know, I'm a person, I like challenges and I don't say no, especially so, to such a great opportunity. So I decided that I was going to try to write a book. <laughs> and I bought all the copies of the past winning books and I read them and I wrote a book and I was like, this is it. This book is brilliant. Yay. I love this book. They, there's no way this book is not going to be shortlisted. <laughs> And it was not. No. <laughs> I was so devastated. And you, you know, you, you really believed. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. this was this is just gold. So um, it was not shortlisted and I was devastated. So I got distracted doing other projects. And then the next year, I heard the competition came around again. But I decided, oh, I wasn't going to enter because of what happened the year before. Mm. But then I read this interview from the the winning, one of the winning authors. And she said that she wrote her winning entry in two weeks. Wow. And at that point I had three weeks. So I was like, well, I have an extra week, so why not? <laughs> and I decided to write a completely like, uh, so the first book was um, adult fiction, realistic, contemporary fiction. This one, I decided to do fantasy about a mermaid, an idea that I had in my head for a very long time. And I wrote that mermaid story in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I think I submitted the the competition's end date was October 31st, 2017. And as soon as I submitted that book, I was like, I really like this story. And that is so rare for me because I'm really critical of my writing. Mm. So for me to actually say I like something, I like this story was a big step. So I Googled how to get a literary agent in 2017. And instead of waiting to hear back from the competition, I decided to submit the book to US agents because, you know, because of the failure from last year. So I wasn't going to wait. I think I started querying a week later. And I knew nothing at all. <laughs> I, I I knew nothing, nothing, not even the genre of my book, <laughs> the age written. Like I knew nothing. So I learned about querying while querying. Mm. Well, I, I learned about um, query tra- tracker, manuscript wish list, and that led me to Twitter. I had a Twitter account, but I never used Twitter. Um, Twitter to me was like being in a a large group chat, (laughs) like torture, (laughs) a large group chat with the world that is. Mm -hmm. So um, I joined Twitter and I discovered PitMad and I decided to do PitMad and 17, was it 17 agents, 17 agents around there like the pitch. Oh, wow. So at that time, so by that time, by the time I finished sending all of my queries to um, the PitMad agents, I had queried, I had seven fulls out 
And I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait and just see what happens. And a week later, I got notified that I had been shortlisted for that Caribbean competition. (laughs) Can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? I did not realize how much I wanted to be a published author until I was on sub. And when I say published, I mean, in this context, traditionally published, because at that point in time, I had already self-published and, you know, had varying success with that. But I did not realize how much I wanted it until it became possible. Mm. Because before, it, it just was not a reality for me. But having signed with a U.S. agent, And seeing the books that she represented that, you know, she was responsible for being published in my head because I signed with an agent meant that I was going to get a book deal. And I was really devastated when I when I learned that was not the case. (laughs) You know, I think the moment I realized how much I wanted it is when she sent me the sub list and I saw the editors and the publishing houses. And I was Mm -hmm. like, holy, (laughs) holy, like. Is this real? And that's when I realized I really wanted a book deal. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. You talked about this a little bit, but how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, everything like that, how to go about it? So I learned via trial and error, (laughs) like good old Google. I think um, the first draft of that book was 28,000 words. And the main character was a 10-year-old girl. And I had sent out four queries saying that it was YA. <laughs> so, <laughs> because in my head, four kids meant all kids, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I didn't even realize the varying levels, different. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I really learned about um, querying, well querying. And through Google, I, I Googled everything. Like when I got a request for a full, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> like, what does this mean? Does this mean that they want my book? Am I being signed? I Googled everything. And that is honestly how I learned. Nice. Yeah. We ended where you said you had finaled for the competition. So what happened from there to getting your first book contract? Well, things got really interesting, I can tell you, <laughs> because one of the prize, the prize for the competition is publication. Mm. And at that time, remember a year before that was what I wanted, but now that I had the possibility of being published by a, a large publisher in the U S or that's what I was trying to do. You know, I wanted bigger, <laughs> I wanted mm-hmm. bigger. So, um, thankfully a good friend of mine gave me a lesson in, in rights and, told me, okay, you can offer Caribbean rights for this book and you can still get a U.S. deal. And so I updated all of the agents that had my full. I told them about the competition and the publishing deal. And I asked if they were still willing to represent me in the U.S. market. And about three or four of them replied instantly and said, yeah, sure, we'll read. We'll move your book to the top of the list. So I ended up signing with my agent, Marietta Zacher, um, in March 2018. So that's about four months later. And that was expedited because of the competition. I mean, she had my full from before, but, you know, um, me sending that message, I think, made her read a little bit faster. And at the same time that I signed with my agent, I also signed a Caribbean deal with a Caribbean editor. And so after that, I had to do edits. 
with both my agent and the mm. Caribbean editor. And thank God that they both had similar comments and like the edits were in line with each other. So I worked on that book for maybe about seven, eight months. Um, and then we went on sub, I think we went on sub October, 2018. So as soon as I was, I finished my edits for the Caribbean editor, I sent that version to my agent. We <laughs> worked on it a little bit more. And then, you know, we went on sub. And I remember we went on sub to nine editors. And I, it never occurred to me. Mind you, remember, I had no idea that I would be writing for kids. <laughs> you know, it, never, <laughs> it was like, a year before if you told me that I would have laughed at you. So like to see that my book was going out to publishers were such huge huge names and one of them that stood out was Scholastic because you know I I, to, I tell you um about Sweet Valley High but I loved Goosebumps like mm. R.L. Stein books like Babysitter's Club though so I was like it's so weird to think that somebody who works at this publishing house would be reading my Beijing story <laughs> it didn't make sense to me at all I remember the first month sub is absolute torture Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, it was you know knowing that you're so like any day any hour you could get an email that could change your life that mm. that's a special kind of torture I'm, you know I'm sure that there's a little writer part of hell reserved for people on top <laughs> you know and I, I I didn't know how to deal with that I did not expect to to be to be so anxious about it mm -hmm. And then a month went by and we got our first rejection. And that was really hard. I was all like, oh, yes, I want to know everything. Tell me everything. And then I got my <laughs> first rejection. And I was like, tell me nothing. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. But um, eventually in January, I think like about three months later, we got a, requ a request for a revise and resubmit from my editor at Scholastic. And I say my editor, so you know how this story ends. But it's still, <laughs> it's still very interesting. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. So she asked for a, a revise and resubmit. And by then, I was a little bit more knowledgeable of the industry because I had joined a Facebook group for on submission. So the good thing is that I knew so much more because of other people's experiences. The bad thing is you also absorbed other people's anxieties, um, mm -hmm. the, the horror stories, you start to get more cynical, you know, you start to absorb all the negative energy as well. Mm -hmm. So when I heard about the revise and resubmit, I was not happy because <laughs> I had read in the group that 80% of revise and resubmits fail. So, oh. you know, that's a statistic, 80% of them. Um, result in a rejection anyway but you know I really loved the idea of my book being at Scholastic <laughs> and so um I was like oh sure sure it's no problem at all sure <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to you and so we had a call and she was amazing and I I got off the call and I was just like I have never wanted something so bad and that scared me because normally I'm a backup contingency type gal like if something doesn't happen you know I have a plan no plan there's no plan I only had to revise the first six chapters but Scholastic's um process 
is a little bit more complicated because you have to go through so many different levels of approval. So it's not just marketing, it's also book clubs, it's also book fair, you know. Mm. So, you know, it's like, and if any of those people said no, then that's it. And that was really scary. I remember um, I got, I submitted the six chapters about three months later in May. And then I officially got my offer. Well, before I got my off my offer, I can tell I can tell you a little bit more about the torment that I went through. Yeah. <laughs> because I was trying not to think about it. And I swear everything reminded me of Scholastic. Oh, <laughs> so <no. laughs> I decided, you know what, I'm gonna read a book and get my mind off of this. And I read this absolutely amazing book called A Snicker of Magic. And I was like, this book is wonderful. And then I started reading the acknowledgments, and the first thing I said I saw was Thanks to my editor, Mal- Mallory Cass at Scholastic. Oh my gosh, she edited this book. So I was like, you mean I cannot enjoy a book in peace without, you know, this, <laughs> this submission haunting me? So, um, yeah, I, there was even an, another time. And I don't even know if I can say this because um, it involves she who must not be named. My uncle, he's a taxi driver. And he told me that he had this author, um, he carried an author to a hotel and her name was She Who Must Not Be Named. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I want an autograph, you know? And he was like, okay, I'll try to get it for you. And I was like, this is, everything is pointed towards Scholastic. What are the odds that this Scholastic author would be in Barbados in my Mm -hmm. uncle's taxi? (laughs) So, you know, he got me the autograph and he took a picture of it and a picture of her holding the autograph and it was not she who must not be. (laughs) (laughs) Like, obviously it was some made up signature as well. So I was absolutely devastated. So I like- Was someone pretending to be her? Yes. I don't know why. I don't know why. (laughs) And so I like, I I went to my friends and I was like, this is a sign. This book deal is not going to work out. Oh no. (laughs) So- yeah, I, I went through, there was so much torture. Um, but then I officially got the author the offer in June, I believe, the official offer in June. And that was like, you know, full tears, full pointing at the screen and, screen and trembling and gawking. Could not believe it. <laughs> so yeah, that was Aww. my submission story. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's hilarious about the fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We're going to do that first cue now. Can you read your successful query letter for us? I will do so begrudgingly (laughs) (laughs) because, as I said, I didn't really know a lot. And now that I know so much more, I can't help but critique my old query and cringe. (laughs) Um, So let's see. Okay. Dear Ms. Zacher. I am a Barbadian writer, filmmaker, and I have previously published a collection of short literary fiction called In Time of Need, which won Governor General's Award for Excellence in Literary Fiction in 2015. Many of those stories, though adult in subject, have been told from a child's point of view, and I have always been fascinated with portraying an authentic voice. Some of my stories narrated from children's perspective have been published in places such as Ada Stories, The Caribbean Writer, and The Journal of Caribbean Literatures. For for more about me and my work, you could visit my website, www.shakirborn.com. I've recently completed my first novel targeting young readers called My Fishy Stepmom. 
I wrote this book because of a desire to showcase a close relationship between a single dad and daughter, along with exploring African and Caribbean folklore. Since the death of her mother, nine-year-old Josephine is extremely protective of her dad, and she is a master at devising elaborate schemes to prevent new girlfriends from coming into their lives, until Maurice comes along. Perfect Marie seems immune to her tricks, and she almost accepts Maurice as her stepmom when she discovers Maurice is a Mami Water, a vengeful sea creature with a lower tarso of that of a snake. Josephine has to convince everyone of Maurice's true nature before she loses her dad forever. The entire manuscript is 28,000 words. I found you via the Manuscript Wishlist website and was delighted to see that not only are you from the Caribbean, that you, but that you also enjoy being near or in the sea. I hope that you'll be interested in this story where a mythical creature from the sea is at odds with humans on land. I have included the first 2,000 words below. If you're interested in reading more, please feel free to contact me. Thank you. Oh, I think for not knowing anything, that's really good, <laughs> especially the description part. That was really good. Yeah, but then it's like, see how long it took to get to the description? So yeah, now, no. you know, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God the bio stuff for for later and it's just a line that like you don't have to say so much but you, know, but you know to me i really think this is a good example of a query that may not have been perfect but it still got me seven full requests you know because i believe that the writing is more important. So unless your query letter is totally incoherent, you know, it's, I think that the writing is the more important part of the package because, you know, the agent has to connect to your writing. And so they may, may forgive you for a query letter that is like not totally perfect. And honestly, I try to keep it straightforward because of all the different conflicting information I was having online. Like some people would be like, oh, write in the voice of your character. And then another person will be like, oh, do not write in the voice of your character because it may be annoying. So I just decided to play it safe and just say what the story is about. Say, you know, who I am and then say thank you. And mm -hmm. that's I still believe that philosophy, of course, with a few tweaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how has your publishing experience been since signing that first book contract? Especially were there any surprises along the way? Oh, everything was a surprise. <laughs> I got surprised this morning. <laughs> everything, because it's so new. Like, this is not a career path that I envisioned for myself. And mind you, I'm very thankful because writing this book helped me to kind of reignite my passion for writing because I had gotten so accustomed to writing for a deadline or writing for other people. I forgot how it was to write for fun. Mm -hmm. And so writing for kids is an absolute delight for me so I could not be happier <laughs> I am not accustomed to editing the editing process oh. <laughs> um, before <laughs> you know I would write a first draft it'll be pretty clean and then that's it so I am not accustomed to so many different people <laughs> involved in the process mm -hmm. and I mind you I liked it because I like revising but it was still a little bit of a shock to see so many different people like reading your work. And I got to say, it was probably a shock for them as well, because as I said, this is a Barbadian book set in Barbados with a Barbadian main character. So I know they learned a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny how we learn 
from each other because you know the, the copy editors had still had to do fact checking so they would tell me about the origin of certain Bajan words and I would be like oh really <laughs> that's where that came from <laughs> and then they would ask me things like I remember one edit where I I mentioned that they were drinking hot chocolate and then the person in the dialogue re- refers to the drink as tea and so she highlighted it and she was like no it's hot chocolate so then I had to explain that in the Caribbean, well, in Barbados, any hot liquid in a mug is considered tea. It doesn't matter mm. what it is. So it was really cool, like, um, us learning from each other in terms of that process. The marketing was interesting, learning about different classifications, that there is mid-list and that there is the title mm. and oh, you may be getting something and another author is not getting that or not getting Mm -hmm. that same attention. I didn't realize how unfair it could be, um, Mm. to be honest. Um, I didn't realize. And it it, it is a little bit sad knowing that, like, especially when you join debut groups and people started sharing information about, you know, what publishers would do for their book and different things that they would get. And you would realize there's a huge disparity. So that was surprising to me because, you know, it never occurred to me that somebody could buy a book and then, you know, (laughs) not push it as much as they possibly can to make as much money from it, you know? So yeah, that that was a big surprise. There are several more, but those are the ones that came. That's a good one. To mine. Yeah. Yeah. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Plotster. I outline <laughs> and then I write freely. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? I am a compulsive underwriter. <laughs> Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Morning. When you start a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? Uh, depends on the book. It could be all of them. This is a funny question considering the story you just told us about tea, but do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's French vanilla coffee. I have a serious weakness for that. Okay. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. If there's any sound, I will dance. (laughs) When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Compromise. Get it down and look back only once to try to get it right. (laughs) Mm. What tools or software do you use to draft? Scrivener. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Okay. Um, Writing out of order is chaotic evil. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. (laughs) I like that. I like that. That quick round. (laughs) (laughs) It breaks up the rhythm a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them? Or, you know, how did they shake out? I was really worried about people not being interested in my story or understanding my story because it was set in Barbados. I thought they maybe would see the dialect and the Creole and think that I don't know how to spell or I have poor grammatical skills or something like that. I just wondered if people would understand because most of my 
life, I've just focused on a niche market. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I never try to go into like a mass, mass audience. So people did get it. <laughs> you know, people did get it. People did find the book funny. They did understand. So that's pretty cool. Um, but it's still an, a niggling worry that you do have. I try my best to balance it in terms of making sure that the language is authentic and especially when, com- when it comes to dialogue, but then at the same time, making sure that the context is clear so that international readers could still understand. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I, you know, I am constantly working on constantly. Mm-hmm. I do feel though that 10 years ago, this book would not have been published. I am before advocates like, you know, we need diverse books the own voices movement before it got corrupted. I I do think that publishers may have looked at this story and be like, no Americans will want to read this. Mm-hmm. So I, I am very grateful for them. Yeah. All right. So now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or fun or interesting? Yes, but it's not very healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot I find it difficult to write on a full stomach. So it's like after I eat, my productivity like plummets 80%. Oh my gosh. So normally I would wake up and I would eat fruit or something. And I would just try to write for as long as possible before (laughs) having breakfast. So sometimes (laughs) like I normally would have breakfast around 11 or 12 because, you know, I want to get in that productivity time as much as possible. So it's not very healthy, but, you know, I did find myself doing intermittent fasting before planning it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's That's that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to work on that, but I cannot. Like when I have a full stomach, I just want to lay down, you know. Mm. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. That's fun. <laughs> I mean, fun as in like. It's different, but not probably not healthy, right? I had I had the answer um, in another Q and A, and the presenter looked very concerned. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going, and why did you stick to it? I guess I didn't have a choice <laughs> to continue <laughs> um, when you have no options because. I was a I I'm a freelance writer. I was writing full time. So I couldn't just decide, okay, this writing life is not for me. I'm gonna go back and focus on my day job. I didn't have that. Mm. So I didn't have a choice, first thing. Um secondly, my family and friends, they really believe in me a lot more than I believe in myself. <laughs> so anytime I start to feel depressed or upset or it was too much, they would just be there supporting me I always get ideas it's so painful I'm trying to be depressed <laughs> and all these darn good ideas for books keep coming up and I can't <laughs> stop them so every time you know you think all right this is too hard then you get this brilliant idea in the shower and you're like I must write it or mm-hmm. I must think about it <laughs> so honestly I guess life and you know being inspired by so many different people and statements and characters I always have I have an email address for my ideas. That's how many mm, I have. Interesting. So, yeah. 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 Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you'd like to warn listeners about? So, you know, hopefully they don't make the same ones. 
for me, I mentioned it before about not doing enough research. I was just impatient (laughs) and it paid off, but it's not, you know, I would not recommend that Mm -hmm. at all. So do some research on agents, like take your time, um, search for them on Twitter, look at their tweets, see if you like their personality. Don't just decide, okay, you know, I I have a middle grade book, so I'm going to query every middle grade agent because clearly we're a good fit. You know, just take some more time to get to know the agents that you're querying. And then, you know, have a plan. (laughs) If you quit your job, do not say I'm going to write and then have no idea how you're going to make money. (laughs) Don't don't be me. So like, just, um, just, you know, have a plan, you, you know, and maybe take some more time. Like, I think really just be more patient. I think, you know, you always think that if you don't do something by X time, it's the opportunity is going to expire. And that is certainly not the case when it comes to publishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Relatedly, can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? So I am a person I like control. (laughs) I like to plan. And I have realized that there's you have no control over success in publishing. And once you reach a certain level where everyone is talented, (laughs) everyone is a great writer, it's just a matter of luck and perseverance at that point, you know? And so I've learned that all you can really do is focus on what you can control and you control the story and you control your writing. There's nothing else nothing else that you control so you know if a book fails on sub or is not as successful as you want to you will fall in love with another character it may not seem like it (laughs) at the time but I promise there's another idea waiting for you and screaming at you to look at them so that they can be developed and turn into this you will always have another dream project I think Mm. that's that's what I've learned. And, I, you know, I'm saying this. I'm a, I'm a big hypocrite <laughs> because I need to re- <laughs> listen to this, uh, you know, the next time something bad happens. But really, if you can, just focus on the stories you want to tell. I love that. Good. All right. I call this the acknowledgments portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? Wow. So, so many. And, you know, I can't name all, but, you know, I mentioned we need diverse books um, because I honestly don't think this book would have been published without their advocacy. I really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And other authors who started screaming diversity and screaming all voices at publishers. Uh, Tracy Batiste, she, before we even met, before she was my, my, my pal, you know, she wrote the only Caribbean middle grade book that I had read in 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 the US mainstream um market. And so I was like, well, if she can, you know, be published, maybe it can happen for me. So she inspired me long before we met. And, you know, then she blurred my book and I freaked out. Um <laughs> then um Karen Lord, she was the only Barbadian I knew who had a pub who was involved in the US publishing industry. And she really clarified a lot of things for me when I was like, what does this mean? You're like, what what should I tell this editor? Like she mm-hmm. was the person that I would always correspond with at first. And of course my agent Marietta Zacker, who <laughs> oh disregarded that query. I know you said it's not <laughs> bad, but 
you know, she she signed me when that book was 28,000 words. So she believed in that story um, before it was when it was half its size. So, um, yeah, there's so many people, you know, my editor, like the writing community, Pitch Wars and Pitch Mad. Like I I knew nothing. You know, I did. I did not have a community. I was afraid to tweet. <laughs> and now you know i'm always on twitter so (laughs) you brought up the word count how many words did it end up being when you published it when i published it it was sixty-one thousand words oh wow okay yeah yeah big change yeah big change (laughs) so shakira before you go can you let us know what you're working on next so I love horror and oh. I'm working on a middle grade horror book. It's coming out in 2023 with Scholastic again. And it's called Duppy Island and is about this filmmaker who is trapped on an island with these faceless children called twins. So I have delved more into Caribbean folklore. So I'm continuing in that vein, but I'm making it a little more scary. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Based so on a true story, right? I, please do not. Like, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. I hope to never be in that situation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll see yeah. how how that goes. Nice. I got chills when you were describing it. So <laughs> yeah, like it's it's really freaky, you know. Like I always wonder if it's too scary for kids, but then kids are so morbid. I think they'll be fine. <laughs> All right, Shakira, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Shakira's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.